in Genesis 42 and 43, discussing the theme of the wounded healer. And I suggested that uh, it's the idea that God wants to move us past forgetting uh, where in the world that we live, that we live in right now, forgetting is actually the, the greatest good. I mean, a lot of stuff has happened to us in our past, we think to ourselves. And if all we can do is forget the stuff that has happened to us in our past, then, oh my goodness, that would be like the greatest thing in life. And so Joseph, when you read the Joseph story, and when he gets to chapter 41, you know, after he's sold by his brothers into slavery, after he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, after he's forgotten, he's forgotten by his friends that he meets in prison, and all of a sudden he rises to prominence and he's, his name of his first son is Manasseh because God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And if Joseph, if Joseph, if we were sitting here talking to Joseph, I think he would have been perfectly fine to have Genesis end at chapter 41. But God had uh, like nine more chapters left in, jo in Joseph's life. And, uh, and God has some chapters for us as well, doesn't he? It's this idea that God is, as long as we have life, we have hope. As long as God has us here on this earth, we are here for a reason. And that's really one of the themes of this uh, series of The Wounded Healer is that no matter where we are in our, our level of woundedness and brokenness and the things we've gone through in our lives, God wants to take those things and redeem them for his glory so that we can bring his kingdom closer to this world in which we live. As we prayed this morning and we've been praying that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done, that we would be kingdom people here in a very lost world. And as you know, as you know, we live in a world of hurting people, people all around us, some within our own household, some within our place of work, some, of course, here with us in church. We live in a world of hurting people, and the world of hurting people need to know this, that God is the great healer. And that God is in the business of redemption. And when we read the story of Joseph, those things come back to us over and over and over again. Now, last week we suggested that the story of Joseph is really a story of divine providence. Whereas sometimes we're looking for a big miracle, right, to happen, some big thing to happen, the earth to open up and swallow some people or, you know, lightning bolts to fly down, maybe some plagues to descend. We're looking for that kind of stuff. God oftentimes doesn't work like that, right? God works behind the scenes in order to accomplish his will. And in the Joseph story, God is working always behind the scenes. And the really cool thing about the Joseph story is that Joseph seems to be aware of this, that God is working behind the scenes. And so what I want to suggest to you for today's message is this, is that God is in the narrative, the story of our life, of my life, of your life, of the life of the brook, of the life of the life that we live together here as a church. God is in the narrative of our life. And we shouldn't take a lot of time trying to write God into our story. Say, man, I have to write God in somewhere. It's like, you know, we wrote this paper and we didn't talk about God. So we have to kind of force God in here or force God in there. And really, that's not necessary because God has always been there. Whoa, right? God's always been there. You mean God was with me back here when this happened? Yes, God was there. 
God was here at that time, and we think of a time in our life. Yes, God was there. If you go back in the life of Joseph, every turn, every corner, Joseph's life worked. Everything went backwards for him. Everything was wrong for him for so many years. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, as he looks back in his life, he says, God was here, and God was here, and God was here. God is in the story of our lives. Our lives become markedly more redemptive when we acknowledge God's presence in our lives, that God is writing the story for us. He is in our story. He's involved in our story. But does God know about this thing? Yes, God knows about that thing. Was God here then? Yes, God was there. And so the, what we need to spend time doing in our lives and as we think about our lives is to acknowledge God's presence with us and then to ask ourselves this question, in what direction is God moving the story. We're saying that God is the creator of the world. We worship the creator of the world today. We worship the redeemer of the world today. We worship the one who has the power to rescue us from sin today and to deliver us into his kingdom today. We worship this one. And we, we are confessing today by our presence and by our reading of God's word that God is in our lives today. And now the question is, in what direction is God moving our lives? In what direction is God guiding us in our lives? You see, it doesn't work anymore if you really want to follow the Lord, if you truly want to be a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, simply to carve out an hour or two on a Sunday and say, that's my time for God. It does, life doesn't work like that. The call to discipleship is a 24-7, 365, and in the case of a leap year, 366, right? God's the call to discipleship is an always, forever kind of a call. And so what, what direction is God moving our life? Not simply what was the sermon about today, or what's the sermon about next week, or, or something like that. But what God, what's God doing in my job? What's God doing in my family? What's God doing in my life? How do I... How do I how am I tuning into this thing? And so by reading the story of Joseph and following the story of Joseph along, we can see some directions in which God is moving us. Now, if you look at this year and where you find yourself in January of 2020 and compare it to, say, where you were five years ago in January of like 2015 or so, or, or pick any point in the past, the story of your life needs to be moving in the direction of healing and forgiveness. Your circumstances may be really different than what they were five years ago. You may have been in a totally different place in life five years ago. But your spiritual story, which God has been writing all along with you, being there with you every turn, every corner, every move, needs to be moving in the direction of healing. It needs to be moving in the direction of forgiveness. There may have been things from 2015 or whatever. I just picked that random year, any year in the past that we may have totally forgotten. And we understand that because we can only fit so much stuff in our mind. But the idea is, the idea is, is that we need to be moving in the general direction of progress and being closer to God. And this story is a challenge to all of us. Are we closer to God today now than we were five years ago? Are we closer to God now than we were 
just last year? Are we closer to God? Are, are we expre expressing more forgiveness? Are we expressing more love? Are we expressing more kindness? Are we expressing more justice? Are we expressing those kinds of things which God is concerned about? That's truly a measure of our relationship with God. And so when we read the story of Joseph, what we see inevitably is this pattern that God is using Joseph, that God is healing Joseph, and that the more Joseph is being healed, the more Joseph is able to help heal others, to bring redemption to others, to bring safety to others, to take care of others. And so by way of introduction, God is in the narrative of our life. I don't know if you've thought about that much. I don't know if that you've given that much consideration that God is there. God's not just in the four walls of wherever we worship, whether it's here at the elementary school or across the street in just a little while or back in some other place, some other time. God isn't just within the four walls. God is moving in your life. And you need to give credit to God for that. And you need to look to God for that. And you need to actually think about and ask God, Lord, help us to see what you're doing. Help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to be in touch with you and in tune with you and in lockstep with you. Because we want to be where you want us to be. We want to go where you want us to go. We want to do what you want us to do. All Your heart, we want your heart to be our heart. We want to follow you, Lord. And so Joseph. You have to give all kinds of credit to Joseph. He could have done all kinds of horrible things to his brothers. Remember the text we read last week? The memories came back. One after another, they came back. And he could have said, man, I hate you guys. You guys tried to kill me. He didn't, did he? God worked in his heart and God worked in his brother's heart in an effort to bring them together. So there's a couple points to the sermon today. Just a couple of points. That what God is in the narrative of our life, and we acknowledge that. We need to be open to the realm of possibility. The realm of possibility. And the realm of possibility in a couple of different areas. First of all is this. The possibility of repentance. That's the text in Genesis 44 that was read for us today. The possibility of repentance. Now, for those of us who have kids, or for all of us who work with kids or no kids. Somehow early in my kid's life, they realized the power of the phrase, I'm sorry. <laughs> when you couple, I'm sorry, well, you've met Sophia and Emily with their cute little faces. I'm sorry, daddy. I'm sorry. You know, your heart melts. and Oh, of course. Oh, you, everything's fine. <laughs> And it was a little bit later on I discovered that I needed to ask them why they were sorry. And generally it was, they didn't say it like this, and, and Sophia will forgive me later or she'll hold it against me forever, I don't know. <laughs> Is that generally they're sorry that they got caught, right? They're sorry they got caught. They're sorry that they're sitting in time out now and they want to be playing with their friends or playing on the whatever device is the latest or something like that. And we take it away from them. They're sorry they get caught. And so we honestly have to say that we don't see a lot of true, genuine repentance these days. I don't mean to blame on, pick on the kids, but, but really with anybody. Repentance is, is not something I've seen a ton of in my life where people are actually tearfully repentant of the things that they've done and, and work for, for you know, a different conclusion and a different answer. 
The idea is that repentance is a change of mind or change of heart. And, and repentance is more than simply saying the words, I'm sorry, right? It's more than saying that. It's the idea that you actually, next time you're faced with that same situation for which you say you're repentant of now, when you're facing that situation again, that you're actually going to try something different in response to it. And that is the story that was read for us this morning in Genesis 44. And it's, it's a very uh, elaborate story, as you know. And I trust you've been reading the story along with us uh, during this series because it's a powerful one. There's so many threads to the narrative of the Joseph story. There's Joseph, of course, and there's Joseph's brothers, of course, and there's Joseph's father, of course, and then Pharaoh seems to get involved. There's all kinds of things going on, and you read it from different perspectives. But it seems like the, the Bible, in this particular chapter, wants us to focus on this guy by the name of Judah. Judah went up to him and said in verse 18, Oh, my Lord, and he's talking to Joseph, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you're like Pharaoh himself. And then he goes and recounts the story about bringing Benjamin down. And, you know, at first the brothers went, there were 10 of them. Benjamin stayed with dad. And Joseph, of course, he is, he is uh, uh, Pharaoh's right hand uh, guy. And so Joseph recognizes who they are and says, you know what, 10 brothers, you need to bring your other brother back. And they realized that was going to be a big problem. Because, you know, Joseph, uh, Joseph was dead, presumably, and Benjamin was this beloved son now. I guess he got his own coat in many colors or whatever preferential treatment Jacob was giving at the day. And so he was getting all this attention. And the brother said, we can't go back there and tell our father to bring your only son. And Joseph said to them, basically, that's the deal. If you guys want to eat, you need to bring Benjamin down. Well, we know that Jacob eventually relents and lets Benjamin go down to the land. We, we read about that last week. But Judah is retelling the story. Verse 24. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we can't, we can't. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. Only left, one left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also for me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs to evil, in evil to Sheol. And, you know, imagine this. You're one of the ten brothers, and you go up to, you go up to, to Jacob, who's your dad, and you say, listen, you, we need to bring Benjamin with us. And he says, he says, you know, my wife bore me two sons, in verse 27. Huh? Jesus said, I'm not one of your sons. I mean, imagine the hurt, the pain of all that. I mean, the heavy level of dysfunction that this guy is dealing with, even with his, with his dad, who's just kind of an emotional wreck after Joseph is dead, and it was not great to start out with. And so Judah goes with the, with the story, verse 30. Now, I, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, as his life is bound up in my boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. So if we're circling verses or underlining verses, you want to circle or underline chapter 44, verse 32. Judas says to his dad, he says, listen, listen, dad, Let's, I'll bring Benjamin. And if Benjamin does not come back to you, I'm the pledge of his life. 
hold it against me. Take it. He is taking responsibility. All you have to do is go back to chapter 37 for a moment. And you notice in chapter 37, this is the story where Joseph is cast into He's cast into the, uh, the pit and so forth. They, 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 they capture him and they throw him in the pit and they don't know what to do with him. In chapter 37, verse 25, uh, they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, the same Judah that we just read about in chapter 44, what profit is if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. You see what happens here in 37? Judah says, let's sell the boy. Let's sell him to slave traders. Judah doesn't say, I'm going to stand up for him. Judah doesn't say, I'm the pledge for his life. Judah says, let's get rid of this guy. Let's make a cover story and everything will be cool. Now, it was nice of him that he didn't want him to die. But to be sentenced to slavery, to be sold into slavery, that's not really a great option, right? And what he did was a selfish thing. What he did was an unreasonable thing. What he did was a sinful thing. And so in chapter 43, Joseph, who very well may have heard his brother talk about him when he was sitting in a pit, understands that now Judah has matured. Judah has come to a place where, you know what? Even though my father's messed up emotionally, he doesn't even think of us as his kids some days. You know what? I'm going to be a pledge for him. I'm going to stand in the way for him. I've changed the way I've done things. So Judah doesn't say the words, I'm sorry for what I did to Joseph, but his behavior demonstrates his sorrow. Repentance is a possibility that we need to be aware of. When God is in the narrative of our life, let's, you know what, I mean, I've, I've lived long enough now to say, to make a statement that I haven't seen a ton of repentance. I've seen people just kind of do their bad things, their bad things, stay doing their bad thing. I've, I've seen that a lot more than I've seen people genuinely change. And I have to say that, you know what? Repentance is a gift of God. And that, you know what? It is still absolutely possible. You know, there may be that person you, you know for who maybe you used to have a relationship with or you used to know or, or whatever, and they have wronged you and they've done something terrible for you. Uh, in your, in, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And, you know, it, it's done with them and you're over with them. I get that. I truly get that. If we're open to the uh, possibility of repentance... We're open to the possibility of God's work in the life of another being. That doesn't mean that everything's always the same or goes back to the way it used to be. But you know what? We need to start praying and rooting for people to repent. To know that when God is working in someone's life truly, they will change their behavior. Because they come to the realization they come to the realization that they were doing the wrong stuff. They were doing the bad stuff. Do you understand what a pivotal thing this is in the life of Judah? Judah becomes the most prominent of Jacob's sons in just a few chapters. And all of a sudden, when we start reading in the New Testament, Jesus 
is the lion, not from the tribe of Joseph, but from the tribe of Judah. God worked in his life. God shows us the possibility of repentance and we need to open up our hearts and open up our minds. And then also, you know, to be quite honest with us and forget the mirror for a second is the stuff we need to repent of. It's the stuff that God is working on us and we're kind of ignoring it. The idea is that if we're writing, seeing God rewriting our narrative of our life and guiding our story along, there's going to be times and movements where we're going to change our way. We're going to change our way of thinking. I know that over the course of my life that God has changed my thinking about certain things in a way which I think draws me closer to his kingdom. In a way which, man, I hadn't thought about those verses before. I hadn't thought about the way I did this thing or the way I did that thing. I, I can think of several examples. And the idea is, is that I've repented at least in my mind and I've asked God to help me repent in my actions to make sure, to make sure that uh, his will is being done. So I hope you see that possibility today. Is it a long shot sometimes? Yeah, it's a long shot sometimes. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But do we believe in God? Do we believe in the Holy Spirit? Do we believe in the power of the word? Do we believe in the power of prayer? Repentance is always a possibility as long as there's life. And we get to hold out that hope for Judah. And we hold out the hope for those around us as well. There's a second point to the sermon today. Not only is it the possibility of repentance, it's the possibility of restoration. Joseph has been testing his brothers, right? Where's your, he speaks to them harshly. Where's your younger brother, right? He's been giving them a hard time. Now, Judah says this. He says this stuff about, you know, I'm a pledge. And I'm, I'm willing to stand up for Benjamin. And if something happens to Benjamin, I'm going to be one held responsible. 45 verse 1. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. 45 1. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, am I Joseph? Is my father still alive? For his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Oh, no, right? The veil is down. This crazy Egyptian ruler who speaks Egyptian, right? He's our brother. And the word is, verse 3, they were dismayed. Oh, no. What's going on? And so Joseph says to his brothers in verse four, come near to me, please. Can you imagine being one of the brothers? <laughs> and they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Whoa. Joseph, God in his providence and in his miracle working helps Joseph see things on multiple levels. You sold me. But God was in there too. Joseph did the right thing by pressing on in his life. You know, when I think when we're hurt and stuff, the, one of the first reactions is, is that, you know, especially when we're going through a lot of pain, is, is simply just kind of stay put and not do anything and kind of kind of be in that hurt place for a long time. And, and God says, I, that's not really the best approach, although he acknowledges our pain fully. He is there with us in the middle of our pain. He asks us to keep taking steps of faith, small as they may be, slight as they may be, but keep moving in the right direction, in the positive direction. And the more you acknowledge God, and the more you see God at work in your life, you have moments like this where you say, where at some level, Joseph has an insight that I frankly would not have the insight to if I were him. I'd still be, go back to prison, brothers. You ruined my life, right? And the idea is Joseph saw, no, 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 no. You meant it for harm, but God eventually meant it for good. That's chapter 50, but he says it here first in chapter 45. There's a possibility of restoration. There is. There is because God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of healing. Our life narrative needs to be written in the direction of healing and the direction of forgiveness. We need to have a more forgiving heart now than we had last year. We need to have a, we need to be, have a more compassionate heart and a more just heart this year than we had last year. We need to see that progress in our story. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter what God is walking us through at the moment, that God God would be there and we would acknowledge it and that would be a life change. And imagine the story of restoration. And, and Moses is a guy who wrote these books of the Bible, the Torah, and a lot of the commentators and so forth point out the very simple phrase in verse 15. He kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, 45, 15, his brothers talked with him. All you have to do is just turn back to 37 for a second. The brothers are hearing about the dreams in 37. And in verse 8, they say, it says, his brothers, 37, 8, his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him for more for his dreams than for his words. You go back to verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, it says in verse 4, and they could not speak peacefully to him. They hated him so much in 37.4, they couldn't even talk to him. Have you ever had a relationship like that? I just dislike this person so much, I can't talk to them. And now, all of a sudden, because of the power of God's restoration, it says in 45.15 that his brothers talked with him. They couldn't talk just a few chapters ago, but now they can. That's restoration, isn't it? It's restoration. There's also one last restoration. It's restoration with the brothers, but there's also restoration with the father. I have to say that I, you know, I've been reading these texts for a while now in the course of my Christian life. And it took me reading a, a certain rabbi, uh, a rabbi, uh, Jonathan Sachs, who is the chief rabbi of the 
nation of England for many years and now is kind of in retirement writing a lot of things. And um, he calls out how Joseph is restored to his father. The problem sometimes is we know this story too well. We know how it works out. We know how the interactions are. You know, we've seen the movie. We read the text, right? We, got, we, we get it. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a little bit. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a little bit. Go back to 37 for a second. He has these dreams. His father loves him more than his brothers. He gives him a coat of many colors. His brothers don't want to talk to him. And he has another dream in verse 9. He dreamed another dream in verse 9, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. I'm not sure he's very wise for sharing this. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars are bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous, and his father kept the saying. Notice what it says in 37.10. His father, what? Rebuked him. He's the beloved son. I'm not sure he got a lot of rebukes before. Rebuking is a strong admonition, right? Rebuking is like, this is wrong, Joseph. This is wrong. Why are you talking about these dreams? You really think I'm going to bow down to you? You can imagine your dad saying that, right? Or Je Joseph's dad saying that. You can imagine that, right? And so jo that's Joseph's last interaction with his dad. Until just a couple verses later. Verse 13. Israel, another name for Jacob, says to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. That was the last word that Jacob spoke to Joseph for over 20 years. He's lying in a pit and his brothers here concocting stories, trying to get him to think, should we kill him or not? He's in Potiphar's house. He's a slave. They're trying to figure out, this woman's coming on to me. What do I do? Right. When he does the right thing, he's saying to himself, he's saying, to himself, why am I stuck in prison? Why are, why are these people forgetting me? Why are all these really bad things happening? And, and beyond all this, beyond all this, the last words to my, from my father were, go check on your brothers. Jacob knew his brothers hated Joseph. And the last time I remember dad talking, he was rebuking me for my dream. What Rabbi Sachs suggests, and I think you all, we ought to think about it this morning, is that we know Jacob was upset about Joseph's death, but Joseph didn't know that Jacob was upset about his supposed death. How do we, how can we process that for a second? You become the prime minister of Egypt and you have access to all the lands around you because you're a powerful guy and you don't reach out to your dad? Why don't you do that? You had every right in the world to do it. You had all the power in the world to do it. You didn't know, Joseph, that if your dad loved you or not. He sent me to go to the brothers who are murderers, who want, want to be murderers, right? 
So when I heard that perspective, it really jolted me. And it makes some sense. Because this is the bottom line question. As we walk through life, does our Father love us? We think of our earthly dad, and the Bible gives earthly dads all kinds of all kinds of wisdom. And us earthly dads, we pray over it, and we we still mess up sometimes, right? Let's push this back just a little bit past the earthly dad. The thing, the thing that gets in the way of our walk with God the most is the question in our heart about whether our heavenly Father loves us. If God loved me, this situation would not have happened. If God loved me, this horrible circumstance would not have happened. I, this, this thing would have happened, not this other thing. If God loved me. The Joseph story is here to remind us that Joseph is going to have restoration with his dad. You know what his first words were? He heard, he heard for the first time from Judah that his dad hadn't moved one inch from the day that he was supposedly killed. His dad, his dad was just stuck in the middle of it, right? He couldn't process it. He was in depression. He couldn't get out of it. His dad, his dad loved him so much. He was emotionally crippled the rest of his life. And every time the thought of the other son died, he said, are you going to kill me? Right? In the New Testament, we have the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is in the middle. He's feeding hogs, right? In the story in Luke 15, he's feeding hogs and, and he's broke. He spent all of his father's wealth. He basically curses his father out and demands, demands the inheritance before he's even dead. And he's sitting there and he's saying, oh my goodness, I need to go back to my father. But, you know, my dad hates me. And so I'm going to go back as one of his servants and I'll, and I'll write, drop a contract and say, I'll be your servant. Just treat me like a servant. I'd rather be a, a servant to my father than sit here with the hogs and eat slop, right? And so when he goes back, what does he find? Does he find a father who is judgmental and critical and crushes him again? No. He finds a father who runs after him, who embraces him, whose goal is restoration. What's keeping us back in our Christian walk? Love is powerful stuff. When you're in love, right? Power, there's power to that. Think about the power and the depth of God's love for us. Think about it as we celebrate communion, as we think about how Jesus died for our sins. God loved us even though we were unlovely. God loved us even though we turned our back on him. God is in the business of restoration and he wants us to be restored to him. So God's writing this narrative for us. We're in the middle of it. We're walking along with God. We're praying along with God. We're asking God for direction. God wants you to be a wounded healer. God wants you to receive healing for the things that are broken in your heart, in your life. 
And God wants you to be able to share that with others. Because, man, we live in such a broken world. And there's nothing more powerful tonic for this broken world than to let them know that God so loved, what? The world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves the world. God loves you. God loves all of us. And that love is the love behind the wounded healer. He loves us in the midst of our brokenness. He loves us in the midst of our sin. He loves us in the midst of our hurt. And right today, he is there for us, wanting us to come back to him, wanting us to point people back to him, to say, you know what? My dad's so great to other people. My dad's so great. He loves everybody. Go to my dad. He will embrace you. My dad, he will take care of you. Go to our dad. That's so much different than this judgmental kind of super critical, I'm not sure God's happy with me perspective that life sometimes gives us. Please today, like Joseph, hear the words, your father loves you. It's life changing. It's life changing indeed. Let us pray. Lord, at this time, I thank you that your word in a powerful way reveals your great love for us. Lord, we confess, we confess that we don't know your ways, that your ways are harder than our ways. We don't know what you're doing in the details of our life oftentimes, but we know, Lord, you are a loving God. We know, Lord, that you work all things together for good ultimately. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting today. For those who are suffering, for those whose spirits and souls are aching, I pray that you would reveal to them how much you love them, how much healing is available at the cross, how much healing is available through your love. And I pray as we, you would open our hearts to receive all of this healing so that we in turn may bless others. Lord, we pray this. In the holy name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.